Let me pray and we'll be in. We'll start in Hebrews 10 and then we'll go to John 5. <clears throat> Lord, thank you. Thank you so much for today. Thank you for your love. Lord, thank you for your word. We've been studying through and the first week we saw just how, or the second week we saw just how important your, your word is in our life. And so, Lord, we, we pray that you would as we go into, go into studying your word, that you would help us see the absolute necessity of seeing Christ in the scriptures and that as we see Jesus, that's what stirs our affections for him. Lord, I pray that as we study, that you would give us hearts not just to want to understand and see the scriptures and have a cognitive understanding of it, but Lord, that it would change us, that we would want to not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word as well. God, I, I pray for help this morning. I pray that you would fill me with the Spirit and that everything I say would be from you. Give me clarity of mind on how to be concise as we, as we look at these last two core values of, of the church. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so first week we, we talked about what's the mission of Remedy Church. And the mission of Remedy Church is here on the screen. The mission is this. The Remedy Church exists to glorify God by calling all peoples into fellowship with Him and with one another through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, all churches have something that sounds very similar to this. This isn't some kind of um, you know, unique one that doesn't capture everything. And all missions, all missions of all churches really want to accomplish three major things. The, the worship of God, the edification of the people that are in the church that are already Christians, and then... Um, stirring up Christians that are in the church to go and want to make disciples or see people that are outside of Christ become disciples. So Remedy Church exists to glorify God. That's talking about the worship. That's the, that's the vertical nature. And then there's kind of two ideas of the horizontal. It's um, your, your relation with fellow man that are already Christians, calling people into fellowship with him and with one another. So that captures both in there. Uh, and we're doing it through Jesus Christ. So we want to see people that are Christians grow stronger in their faith that are already Christians and those that, that are unbelievers that don't know Christ. We want to, um, as a church, be on mission to go and see them come to know Christ. And so that's, that's our mission statement here at Remedy. That's what we're trying to do is see those things happen. Now, the way that we think <clears throat> that God is leading us as a church, specifically here at Remedy, to see this mission state, statement happen is through what we call core values. We have five things that we really, really um, prize and treasure and hold dear to ourselves. And if we can do these five things well as a church, then we think that we'll accomplish our mission statement. Um, we think that we'll accomplish the worship of God. We think that we'll accomplish the edification or the growing of the saints here in the church. And we think that we'll accomplish seeing unbelievers come to know Christ. And those five things are, number one is Scripture. We want to hold high Scripture. We believe in the sufficiency of Scripture. And we want to de develop within us a love of Scripture. So that's the first thing. The second thing is worship. <clears throat> we want our worship to not just be um, Christ-centered in the service, and we talked about this, and if you want to listen to this, I, I, I invite you to go to iTunes. I don't really have time to do very much of it today, but we want our, 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 our worship to be Christ-centered here and Christ-centered as we have a lifestyle worship. Um, and then the third thing we talked about last week was missional living. Now, all three of these, five, five of these things kind of cross over, and there's lots of, lots of um, you know, interweaving of them, but one of the things that we want is, is missional living. And last week I was also going to talk about service, which I didn't get to. And the, one of the main things I wanted you to see is that missional living and service are not the same thing. Um, missional living and service are not the same thing. Christians should do both. Churches should do both. But they're not. I'm going to get to that soon today, hopefully, and let you see what we're talking about. Um, and then the other two things that we want to really really do and emphasize is community and service. And when if we, if we do all five of these... we you know, with the best of our ability, with the giftings that we have in our church, then we think that we'll accomplish the, the mission of our church and really the mission of all churches. Um, and that's, that's how God has wired us. Now, some churches have different core values than we do, but this, these are the five that we believe God has laid on the heart of remedy to do well. And if we do these five things well, we believe we'll accomplish our, our mission statement. Now, um, we're going to talk about community first and then go into service. That's how we're going to do it today. So we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 10. Um, and one of the goals that I have uh, in talking about community is that um, 
you would believe and see the need for community in your life. That you would, you would abs- this is one of my major goals this morning, is that you would absolutely believe and see the need for you to be in biblical community and that you would, after today, resolve to be in biblical community and, and engage in it. Now, at Remedy, the way that we've kind of structured biblical community to occur is in our what we call community groups. Um, so whether you come to Remedy or not, this is your first time and you're from somewhere else, I, I just want you to see the absolute need for being in biblical community in whatever way, structure, whatever church you're involved in has set that up that you would engage in that. For us, it's community groups. For other churches, it's different things. But for us, it's community groups. And so really, at the end, one of my major goals is if this is your church, that you would engage into a community group today. And we're going to give you opportunity at the end um, via these cards to let us know how you would like to do that. But um, that's what I want to do today. Um, Now, when I talk about community groups, when I talk about community, what I really mean is gospel-centered community. It's not just community where we're going to hang out and we're going to eat, drink, and be merry and have fun and do a lot of fellowship. Yes and amen to that. We want you to do that. We want you to hang out. But gospel-centered community in that um, at the core of all of our fellowship, at the core of all of our Bible study, at the core of all of our service together, at the core of all of our being together, that community is designed for the edification and the growing up of the saints in this church in the gospel. So that's what I mean by gospel-centered community. We, we don't want you to just be best friends. Yes, we want you to be best friends with each other. But one of the primary things that we want to happen is that as you're life on life with other people in this church, that you are edifying each other and that you're all pushing each other and growing up in the gospel. Your understanding of the gospel and your speaking of the gospel to one another. And as you are Christians doing life on life, as you go to see un- unbelievers, that you're telling them the gospel and you're doing mission together. Gospel-centered community means that you want to do not just mission by yourself, but mission with people which I think is the most effective way to do mission, is being on mission with other people in a community group and doing it with them. We, we will get to that um, today uh, as we get to service. So that's, that's what we're wanting to see. So what are community groups here at Remedy? This is just kind of some introductory material. What are community groups here at Remedy? Community groups are biblical communities that glorify God by loving one another and making disciples. That's what, that's what community groups are doing here. And this is the way that we have decided to structure community to occur in Remedy Church. And that's what we're trying to accomplish. Um, the reason why they're important at Remedy Church, because here at our church, we believe that this is one of the primary vehicles in which you, in which you will be discipled. You can absolutely be discipled by coming to church on every Sunday, worshiping together with the saints, and um, studying through the Word of God with us. You can absolutely be discipled that way. There's no question. But I don't think that that's quite enough. I really don't. Um, I think it's really good. I mean, really good. We, we believe in the Sunday morning gathering very much here. Um, and I think that you can absolutely be discipled. Um, but I think that coupled with being in community with a set of believers, doing life with them day in and day out, where they can speak into your life and they can talk about the gospel with you and, they, and you can do the same with them, that I think that that's going to be one of the, the best ways that you can be discipled and grow. Now... Um, there's also one little caveat. Just because you're in a community group doesn't mean that you're necessarily growing. All right? And just because you're not in a community group doesn't mean you're not. But if you're going to be in a community group, if you're going to actually say, okay, I believe in that and I'm going to do it, then you have to engage yourself fully. Not just say, well, I went on Tuesday night, check the box, I'm doing community. There's, it's more to that. It's more than just that. It's actually engaging yourself in and putting yourself out there so that you're going to really, really grow. You're really, really going to grow. Um, so let me, let me kind of start as we get into community with one verse that I just want to kind of lift out of 1 Thessalonians and let this be kind of our, um, our opening introduction to what we're trying to see happen in community groups. This is um, 1 Thessalonians 2. Paul's writing to the church at Thessalonica, letting them know just how much he cared for them. And this is what he writes in 1 Thessalonians 2.8. He says, So... Being affectionately desirous of you, 
We, this is Paul as he was with the Thessalonians, as he was a missionary. This is what he, how he felt about them after he left. He said, so being so, uh, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. This is exactly what we want to see happening in our community groups. We want to see that you are so affectionately desirous of the other people in your group, that you care about them so deeply that you're not only ready to share what's the most important primary thing, the gospel. You, you want to tell them the gospel, but you don't want to just kind of be the, the, the kind that, here's the gospel, get it straight, and you, can, you kind of walk away. But as you're giving them the gospel, you also want to share your very lies with them because they are very dear to you. You have a deep love for the people that God has placed in your life um, that you are to, to live out this Christian life with. This is what we want to really see happen in our community groups. So, um, how is this going to happen at Remedy? Th- let me, let me uh, ask you to look at Hebrews chapter 10 with me, and we're going to be at ver- starting at verse 19. Starting at verse 19. Now you can see verse 19 starts with therefore. Um, and so again, you know the rule. So let's, kinda, let's take a, a couple verses up. And let's ask, what, what's he talking about? What's, what's the point? Therefore, if we're going to have community, what's the community based on? Do we just have community based on hanging out? Um, the community is based on something. Verse 12 is going to, 12 through 14 is going to give us our idea of what community is based on. And you can already guess it if you spent any time with us here at Remini at all. 12. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. So community is always based on the gospel. It has to be based on the gospel. So when Christ had offered for a single time a sacrifice for all sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet by a single offering. Oh, I love the verb tenses here. You've got to make sure you see them. He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So this is what gospel community is based on. Um, our community at Remedy Church, as we're looking at 19, the 19 where it says, therefore, is based on the gospel. This means the death of Christ, atoning for your sin, and his glorious resurrection, defeating Satan's sin and death, and where he absorbed all the wrath of God, and then rose on the third day, defeating Satan's sin and death for us on our behalf. So if you put your faith in Christ, you are completely forgiven. And as verse 14 says, you have been perfected. That's what's been declared of you. You are now perfect. And you're also being sanctified. You are being made more holy, if you will. Already not yet. Kind of verb tenses there showing to us. So that's what it's based on. So here we are at verse 19. It says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence only because of the gospel to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us, through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we, just notice all the first person plurals here, since we have confidence that he opened for us through the curtain, that, and since we have a great, great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So this is a description of someone um, who has confidence to enter into the holy place. This is someone who has been forgiven by God um, and they are coming to, with their lives because of Christ. They're coming into this um, place with God with, very, with a lot of confidence based on the gospel. So one of the first things we want to see is we want to see people have that confidence. We want to see people come to know Christ. So here's the first thing we, we desire to see in our community groups is we desire to see people drawn in, putting their faith in Christ and having their hearts washed clean by the blood of Christ. So one of the things we hope to see, so this, the first thing that we want to see, if you, want to, if you will, is just say we want to see people getting saved, just to make it real simple. We want to see people getting saved. Um, so we want to see people coming to know Christ, and we can see that there's lots of First-person plurals here. And so that's, it's in the context of community that we want to see this happen, if you will. So, all right, let's go on to 23. And the next thing that we're going to see, the first one was that we want to see people coming and getting saved. And now we're going to talk about once they are saved, 
What do we want to see? Look at this in verse 23. It says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. For he who promised is faithful. All right, so we want to see people based on 19 through 22 getting saved. And now we want to see people, I know this is kind of a weird way to say it, staying saved. We want to see people staying saved. I don't believe that they can lose their salvation, all right, at all. But I believe in perseverance of the saints completely. But we want to see people staying saved. And what I mean by that is this. Look at what, how he says that. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope. So we are holding fast. We're staying, if you will, uh, in the faith. But we're doing that by holding fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. Why are we doing that? For he who promised is faithful because God is faithful to us. So we're seeing people um, holding fast and holding on to their hope of being saved because God is faithful. And all that that hope that we're talking about is based on the faithfulness of God. Let me just show you, um, just in the book of Hebrews, just in, in, in these you know, couple chapters around it, about six promises of God. I think it's six. Yes, yeah, six promises of God that we, that we can hold on to. Um, and we want to say that we're staying saved, if you will, or holding on to our hope, because we have to, we're doing that by Hoping in the faithfulness of God. We have no other hope besides God being good to us and that He's true and that He is going to do what He said. He, he's held out these promises to us and we have to believe in those promises. Let me just show you some of them first. Look at 1014, um, which I've already read. For by a single offering, here's a promise of God. He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. That's a promise of God, that you are perfected right now. We want to continually hope in that. We want to believe that we have been perfected. Go down to 10.16, the second half. He says, I will, this is the covenant that I will make that them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and write them in their minds. This is another promise of God that he will do that. Go up to 10.17. And then he adds, I will remember their sins and, and their lawless deeds no more. Another precious promise of God that he's not going to hold your sins against you. Um, look at 12.10. This should be just a page over. Look at 12.10. It says this. This is another promise of God when he disciplines you. But why does he discipline you? This is what he says. For the discipline is for a short time, as it seemed best, talking about uh, earthly fathers. But he, God, disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. So here's another promise that the pain in our life that, that we experience, the discipline we experience in our life is always going to be turning out for our good. Another verse is Romans 8.28. That's a precious promise of God when we're going through some, th- some discipline by God. It's for your good. We want to hold on to that so that we can stay keeping our hope in God. Here's another one. Uh, 13.5. This one's great. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content that with what you have. For he has said, here it is, I will never leave you nor forsake you. A precious promise of God that no matter what, he will always be there. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And here's one more. And there's, I mean, there's, there's a billion promises in the Bible. I just thought it'd be great to stay right there in, in Hebrews. There's another one. And uh, Hebrews 13, it says this. Um, it's really in 2021, 20, but let's read 20 and 21. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the covenant of the, by the blood of the eternal covenant, here it is, equip you with everything good that you may do his will. This is a precious promise of God that you will be. And we've seen this in 2 Peter 1, 3 through 5, that he has, pres- he, he has promised us that he will equip us with everything good that we need to be able to do his will. These are just some. So as people are coming into community group, we want to see people get saved, but we also want to see people stay saved or holding fast to the confessions of the promises of God. That he's, he's, he's promised us so many things and we want to continually hold these out. To people. So here's a question for you. Are you finding yourself as a believer in community with other believers? Are you finding yourself holding out these promises to people that are Christians? Do you find yourself speaking of the promises of God? You, you can't be silent on these things. Your interaction with other believers should involve you. Holding out promises of God. Anytime that they have something going on in their life that you know isn't going well, whether they share it with you or whether you just can discern it, you want to take the promises of God 
based in fa- and found, finding their foundation in the gospel and hold them out to other believers. They need these things from you. They absolutely need to hear these things from you so that they can continually hope in. Every one of us are going to have mountaintops and every one of us are going to have valleys. And when you see your fellow believers in the valleys, they need for you to come speak the gospel to them more than ever. And so are you doing that? How can your hope become something that you're finding yourself doing more and more? I think that uh, the next two points uh, should encourage you to let you see how you can do this more. The second thing, point two is I want you to hold out the precious promises of God to other people. We want to see people get saved. We want to see people stay saved by giving them the promises of God. How can we do this point two? By points three and four. Points three and four will help us. Um, So here's, let's read verse 24. It says this, and let us consider, this is great, if you underline, this is, this is a good place to underline. This is a great verse to underline. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. How are you going to hold out the promises to other people? As point two tells us, point three. You're going to let us consider how we can stir up one another to love and good works. It's really easy to, um, it's really easy to love your spouse and your kids because they're in your family. But you're also called to love your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ in your church. So, let me just kind of point out the obvious here. But in verse 24, it says, Let us consider. This, this consider is not just kind of like a, a passing thought. This is actually some contemplation. God, in the scriptures, whoever wrote Hebrews, I think it's Paul, um, told, us, told us this. Um, you need to actively consider other people and how to, how to hold out to them and, and, and encourage them to stir them up to love and good works. You want to actively be doing that. You want to really be thinking about how to build up other people. You should care about them so much that you're, you know, you're thinking about Jane over there and you're thinking, how can I consider in my heart to stir her up to love and good works? Oh, and there's Bill. I need to actively find myself thinking about Bill and considering how I can build him up. You're in a community, hopefully, of 10 to 12 believers. And your mind should not just be constantly filled with yourself, but you should be thinking about other people. Here's here's my little illustration for this. Um, And I love to give illustrations where I'm just the the moron. I was in in seminary, um, and I was heavily involved in a community group. I went to a church there. I mean, it was... It was life-shaping for me. And I, when I was there, uh, I was involved in this community group where it was all community, it was all seminary guys. And so it was, it was, it was pretty challenging. These guys, you know, pushed me on pretty well. But there came a time where, you know, we, we met every Thursday. And there came a time where the spring came up and intramural basketball at seminary came. And I mean, I just, I love playing basketball. I might not be very good, but I love playing it, right? Um, and so I found out that seminary intramural basketball fell on Thursday nights. And so for a whole like two months, three months, I missed community group. We called it home group there, but I missed community group um, for like three months. And, and within the first week, the, the guy, the community group leader, his name's Jeff. Jeff came to me and said, hey, uh, you haven't been at community group for a couple of weeks. What's going on? You know, why haven't you been? And I said, oh, I'm coming back in about, in about three months. But right now it's intramural basketball. And I really, you know, I mean, I can't believe, I can't believe I actually said this thinking about it. I'm just like, what a dumb excuse. I should have just said, uh, school's bad. Well, that a lot, but, um, but here's the deal. Like, I literally thought this was a good idea. Jeff, um, I'm playing intramural basketball right now. It's fun. I'm going to come back. You know, you've got all those seminary guys in community group. What do you need me for? Everybody's way smarter than me. And he's like, yeah, but, um, we need you there. And I was like, yeah, I'm coming in a few months. Um, and this is what he said. He said, Fudd, um, you might be doing okay spiritually. You might not be entrenched in sin. And so you might say, yeah, I'm fine for these three months because you don't need to come and, and have us really looking into your life and pointing out the gospel because maybe you're in seminary and you're doing well. But these other guys might need you. You don't know what you could say in those three months if you were actually there and they present their struggles and you have a word that you've been dealing, thinking about so it's not just all about yourself, it's about what you can give. And I mean, this is exactly what we're talking about here in verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up 
one another in love and good works. I literally thought, all these guys are seminary guys. They don't need me. And everything's going fine with me right now. So I'm fine. I was so, I was so thinking about myself that I couldn't, I couldn't even contemplate that my Christian walk and, and living out community is not just about myself, but primarily about considering others. Considering others. And so when we're talking about community, we're talking about it being about other people. So what does that mean and what does that look like here? Um, it means that whenever you come and you get in a community, that you want to be just as open and as honest as you can. That takes time. You, 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 I mean, you're not going to just open up with someone immediately and finding the right community group takes time. Uh, I, but yeah, it, it just... You, you, we, what we want is whenever you come that you would find yourself willing to engage and to be honest. Um, and we hopefully that you would see that whenever you're honest, people are going to care about you and encourage you and not be so concerned about themselves, but more concerned about you. And if everybody's doing that, then everybody's being cared for. So here's some good questions for you. Uh, just to think about when we're thinking about this considering on uh, one another. How many people really know you? Like, really? How many people really know you? It's not commendable. It's really not commendable to say, yeah, I'm my own man, I'm my own woman, I, I deal with everything my own. That's not commendable. The, the Christian life is a personal deal. I mean, it's, your, your faith in Jesus is personal, but it's never meant to be private. You're supposed to see sanctification happen in your life in a group of other Christians. That's the way God's designed sanctification, that it would happen with other people. So how many people really know you? And here's maybe another better question. How often do you find yourself considering other people and how you can stir them up onto love and good deeds? How often do you consider other people and how you can stir them up? You probably start consider yourself and you probably consider your spouse and your children. Um, how often are you finding yourself considering other people in your community group or in the church, or in your community, wherever you do life, even if it's in your, your college dorms, or in your workplace, or whatever, how often are you thinking about how you can build them up? What would it look like if Remedy Church and their community groups had this happening at really high levels? What would your community group look like if you were thinking about how to stir up other people on in loving good deeds, and not just yourself? What would that look like? I think that it would... <laughs> it would look pretty amazing. I think it would look pretty amazing. All right, so here's the last thing I want you to see is in verse 25. The way we're going to accomplish seeing people hold on to the promises of God is first by considering others. And the second thing is this, and this is one of the keys. Now, Hebrews 10.25 is like the classic text for the, the Pharisees to beat you over the head with to make sure you be in church every Sunday. You should be in church. Haven't you read Hebrews 10.25? This is what it says. Um, and... We should consider how to stir one another to love and good works. And it says, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, we know who they are, but encouraging one another as all the more, as all the more at, uh, I can't read, hooked on phonics didn't work today. All right. But encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So, um, and this is the verse they take. Don't neglect to meet together. What's the matter? Come on, be here every single Sunday. And I mean, I think that they're right, but we could probably do that a whole lot more convincing, a whole lot more winsome, a whole lot more loving. So um, instead of stating point four negatively, I think stating point four positively is better. So let's, let's look at point four stated. Instead of saying, and don't ever miss church, let's say it differently. This is, this is maybe a better way to say it. What we desire to see here at Remedy in community is people desiring to be together. Not missing church, but desiring to be together because of a natural love for one another. Because of a natural love. Not neglecting to meet together as, as the habit of some, but, but encouraging one another all the day as you see the day drawing near. The reason why you want to encourage, the reason why you want to be with them is because you are finding within yourself, and you may really have to pray for this. It may come naturally. You may just love everyone, no matter. But sometimes people have you know things that they do, quirks that that drive you insane, and you have to just pray, God, give me a deep and abiding love for these people in my group. And wherever they are, 
wherever they are in their spiritual walk or their quirkiness, I want to have a deep love for them that I want to invite them into this community, love them and encourage them in the gospel. So that's what we want to see happening um, is that we would have a deep love for people. Now, um, one of the things that we think is important at Remedy is service. Um, missional living is how we talked about it last week. And I want to kind of explain what I mean by missional living and service. And I said this a minute ago. We think that this is going to best or most easily happen um, in the life of our church. Mission happening not just individually, but as a community group. You serving as a community group. We think that that's going to be the easiest way to find yourself doing it. Now, there's really kind of a, a three-pronged way to doing you know service. And whenever you do service, you should always find yourself presenting the gospel. There's really a kind of a three-pronged way of we think this happens. There's individually, you know, like you or you and your spouse. We're doing mission together. We're serving together. We're going down to the um, homeless shelter or we're, you know, finding people in our neighborhood that need stuff, whatever. And then there's also um, in your community group where you have a group of 12 or so. And then there's church-wide. But as you do that, it's, it's a little bit different. You know, like church-wide, you're going to have lots of kind of, you know, acquaintances that you'll make, but you're not necessarily going to build huge relationships with people if 60 people go in, together as a church and do something for one particular person. You, you know, you, you're probably going to build up your relationships in the church more. And then individually, you're going to do stuff together. You know, if it's just you and your spouse, you're going to, you're going to really have a good relationship piece, but you might not have the resources to, to do a lot for a couple. But if you grab a group of 12 where you're, you're interacting with you know, some people you're serving, maybe it's another group of 12, another group of five, we think that you'll, um, with a couple other couples in your life, you'll accomplish the mission a whole lot more effectively if community is doing mission together. Because you have the accountability piece where you see other people doing it. You've got enough people together where you can gather resources together if people really have needs. Um, there's lots and lots of positives of doing mission together um, in community. So as we talk about community, I want to kind of let that idea spill over into doing mission. And I want you to kind of think about it in this way. How do we want to do mission? And, how, and what's this thing I keep talking about with service? Like, what's the importance of service? Well, let me, uh, let me talk about service just for a second, and then um, I'll show you what I mean. I'll show you what I mean. All right, so service is this. There's really kind of two ways you can serve. When we say service, now, when I talk about service, I literally just mean going and helping people right now. But... There's always a reason why we do that. If we just go help people, then all we are is humanitarians. And that's not the reason why we serve. Um, we serve because God has told us, but there's always a reason. Let me talk about the ways that you can serve here specifically at Remedy. You can serve inside the church or outside. You can serve inside by maybe being a community group leader or a deacon or an elder or a volunteer in the kids' area setting up. There's all kinds of inside deals you can serve, but we don't want you to just serve inside. We also want you to serve outside the church, or we don't want you to just serve outside the church. If you're a member here, we want you to serve inside as well, keeping a balance between both of them. Outside the church means that you can, um, you can help working in the schools, or you can help with the Green Street cleanup, or um, serving at retirement centers, whatever your community group is doing. There's all kinds of all kinds of things where we're going to even have something that we're announcing later on where we're going to be painting some houses here in Rock Hill. I mean, there's all kinds of outside the church kind of things that you can serve at. Either one of those things. Um, but here's the danger. If all you do is just, as we go serve in the city, if all you do is just serve and that's it, like you serve somebody and you're like, all right, that was all, and you kind of walk away, then the gospel becomes meeting people's needs, not seeing them be transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the sun. And so we don't want to just serve just to meet people's needs. We want to serve so that we can meet their greatest need, which is their need for Christ. So missional living and service are not the same thing. Service is doing the act of the thing that God wants us to do. And we, we're, we're commanded to do these things. But missional living is once we've done that, telling them about their greatest need, which is Christ. And both of those things should be done. Let me, let me give you a, a... Let me read to you a verse from Jeremiah where I think God really tells us to kind of engage in society, engage in life in, 
and wherever you live and, and find places where you can serve. This is Jeremiah 29, uh, verses 4 through 7. It, it'll be on the screen if you don't feel like flipping to Jeremiah. Um, it says this. Thus says, the Lord, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So these are, these are Israelites sent into exile. And they're not just supposed to kind of hang out there and die. This is what he says to them. He says, build houses. Now, listen, I know that this is a command from God to Israelites. All right. And it's specific to them. And I think that as we read this for today in 2011, there are principles that we can lift out these commands that he's given to the Israelites, and we can say, all right, these are principles for us as Christians today. I know that these are words to Israelites, but these are principles for us. And this is what he tells them while they're in exile. He doesn't say, hang out there and die, and just finally you get to go to heaven, and don't worry about doing anything on earth. This is what he says. He says, build houses, live in them, plant gardens, eat their produce. He's literally saying, do life, like find yourself living out life every day and and." In the in and out. It says, take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. Look at this, verse 7. But seek the welfare of the city um, where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for its welfare where you will find your welfare. So even as you're there, try to find places in the city and make the city better. Make it a better place to live. Non-Christians do this. So... This is a commandment I think that he's telling them, but I think this is a principle that we can lift out and say, all right, as Christians, we are to do these things. Build houses, live in them, have children, um, buy things, be a part of the commerce, look at the city and find places that, that the city needs help and, and do things in the city. It's basically just telling the unbelievers in the city, hey, you care about the city, we're citizens of the city, we care about the city. We care about the same things you care about. We want to see the city of Rock Hill, the city of wherever you live, Fort Mill, whatever. We want to see it improve. We want to see this place be a better place to live. Now, again, don't miss this, okay? Because if, if all we do is that, then we're just humanitarians. We, we care about the city. We want to see things get better. We want to make life better here. But we as Christians, we have a Christian worldview where this, this is not our home. This isn't the be-all, end-all of all of our resources. We want to help things. We care about the same things that you care about. But as we're coming alongside you, making this a better place, as we're serving outside, we want to see other people come to know Christ. And we want to actively present the gospel to them. All right, let me, let me show you what I mean. Let me kind of give you a biblical illustration of what I'm talking about with John chapter 5. There's other places you could go um, to be able to see this. You could go to Acts 3. There's all kinds of stories that illustrate this. Um, but John 5, I, I absolutely love. Um, this is what it says. And here's, here's what I want you to see. All right, There's kind of one little framework I want you to be thinking about. This is we're serving people, meeting physical needs. And as we're doing that, we want to tell them about the gospel. I mean, it's pretty simple. That's, that's, that's it. Pretty obvious, pretty straightforward. And this is what Jesus does. Jesus gives us that illustration. After this, there was a feast of, of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Very intentional, very intentional living, living out with gospel intentionality, Jesus was. He knew that there was going to be a need. Now, he was Jesus, and he had the advantage of knowing that this man was going to be there, and you don't necessarily have that, but you, you know where people are. You know where needs are. So you can be very intentional about living your life. Um, verse 2, now, there... There is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roof colonnades. Now, just picture five huge huge porches, just massively large porches, five of them. And so as we're seeing this, we're going to be able to see something that's really, really obvious. In this lay a, look what word John uses, a multitude of invalids. Um, If you will, look down at uh, the end of 13, and it says... Uh, that there was a crowd. So we see five roof colonnades. You can picture Jesus going there, and there's, there's just five enormous porches full of invalids. And it says, um, lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. So a ton of need. A ton of need here. Now watch what Jesus does. This, this is so interesting, right? Jesus doesn't find himself 
overwhelmed with the need. Look at this. Um, you can see that there is no verse 4, and you probably have a footnote that says verse 4. And if you, want to, uh, if you have the, the footnote, you can just look down at verse 4. Uh, and it says this, For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred the water. Whoever stepped first in after the stirring of the water was healed of whatever disease he had. That's just a footnote. That's just added by probably someone later, probably not um, something that John wrote. But whether John wrote it or not in verse 4, not my point at all. But what we can gather from this is we know that there's a pool because it says there's a pool in verse 2. And we know that the, the people there really believed if when that water starts stirring, if I get into the pool, five porches full of invalids, invalids everywhere. There's apparently the thought of the people there that if I'm the first one in that pool, then I'm going to get to be the one that's healed. That's all we need to really think about. That's all we really need to know is there's multitudes of paralyzed, blind and lame people there. And they honestly believe that if they were the first one in the water, whenever the angels stirred the waters or whatever, um, that they would be healed. Now, <clears throat> back to the actual of text we know John wrote, verse 5. And it says this, um, One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. Now, we don't know if he had been... You know, if he was literally 38 years old and had been an invalid all his life, or if he become, had become an invalid maybe at 10 or 20 and he was, you know, 48 or 58, we don't know this. But I know this, 38 years, I'm not even 38 yet, all right? I still have two more years, and I feel like I've lived a long time. Like, I, I just feel old. I can't imagine having a condition for 38 years. Imagine being paralyzed for 38 years. I mean, at the end of verse uh, year one, despair has to set in. And it's just 37 years of, well, I guess this is it. I mean, that's a long time to have no hope. A long time. Now, remember our context. Meet physical needs. See them come to know Jesus. That's our, that's our goal here. Serve them, be a missionary. Core, uh, what's the fact? core value number three, whatever it is, service. Core value number four, missional living. That might not be the right numbers, but y'all know what I'm saying. All right, and then it says this, um, number six, verse six. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? Now, Jesus isn't sadistic. He's not being mean. Like, he's not just saying, hey, you want to be healed? Like, of course the answer is yes. Of course the answer is yes. So why does Jesus ask him why, such an obvious question? Why do you want to be healed? There, I think there's three reasons in here. And it's all for the benefit of the man. All for the benefit of the man. He asks him this. Number one, to increase the desire of the man to be healed. Yes, I want to be healed. Is, is today the day? So that's the first thing. Number two, to show within him his own deep misery. When someone asks you, and it's almost kind of like rubbing salt in the wound, but not in a mean way. Jesus is God and he's not being mean. But like, oh yeah, I need help. I'm an invalid. Or let's just kick it over to service. Whenever you want to help someone and you say, hey, can I help you? It reminds them, I do need help. You're not being mean. You want to show them, I do need help. And I'm here to and, and I'm going to help you. Here's the third thing, is to remind him, this is beautiful, of his inability to deliver himself. Remind him of his inability to deliver himself. So Jesus asked this question, do you want some help? Or do you want to be healed? And we see this man already, uh, it says the sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. So he, he has one category of thought of the way that he can be healed. Yes, I want to be healed, but every time the water stirs, no one picks me up and puts me in there. So I just lay here. He, in his mind, there's only one way that he can, be, he can be helped. Only one way his physical need can be met. Now listen, as you're going out in the city and you're helping people, sometimes they literally think there's only one way that their physical need can be helped. But that's probably not the only way and probably not the way that it can be helped. So it's okay to help them see maybe that's not the only way out of here. Sometimes they've been in that condition for so long, 38 years, they can't, they can't even imagine any other way out. And they just think there's only one way out. And you're coming there 
maybe to shine some new light on the situation and help them. So he asks him, um, he says, yeah, every time I want to do it, the water gets stirred up. And while I'm going down, another person steps before me. And so, you, I mean, you can just imagine the water starts stirring five roofed colonnades of invalids. It's got to just be mayhem. They all want to get in the water. And so the fact, the chances of getting in there and not getting stomped is pretty low. So it just seems like it would be pretty much mayhem. And this guy only has one, one thought of how I can get in there. And this is what Jesus says. Um, verse 8 is pretty amazing because this guy had the one way. This is the way that I'm going to get my, my needs met. This is the one way that it's going to happen. And Jesus just says, you want to get healed? Yeah, and i got to get in the water. Oh, okay. Get up. Take up your bed and walk. That's a different way. That's not, that's not involving the water at all. Now, he's Jesus, and I know you can't just heal somebody's needs by saying, here it is, Holy Spirit, gotcha. You know, I mean, you actually probably have to find some, some resources, go back to your community group, there's a guy that has a need, come to the church, talk to your spouse, you know, hey, there's a guy that has a need, let's pull our resources. He thinks it can only happen this way, but I see some other ways, or if I can't think of a way, he says it's this way, I think he's right, I'm going to go ask some other people, how can we help this person? That He or she needs some help. What can we do? You need to bring in people. However, the one way that they think they might need their physical need met might not be the only way. So you, you meet it. Now, again, that's not all we do. We do that. And sometimes we don't even have to do that. We can just go straight to the mission. But we do want to meet physical needs. And this is what happens. Get up, take up your bed and walk. And look at this. And at once, and at once the man was healed. And at once the man was healed. And he took up his bed and walked. Now, um, Jesus heals this man. And I'm going to have to kind of skip this next little section uh, between 9 and 14. And basically what's just going on there is that the Pharisees heal, hear about the healing and they're like, what's going on? How did you get healed? Who told you to get up? How did you do this? Today's the Sabbath. What's going on? And so we know, flash forward back up to verse 1 where it says, after this there was a feast of the Jews. Jews were there, specifically Pharisees, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. This is just kind of a side note for free, by the way. Um, one of the main things that Jesus wanted to accomplish was the healing of this man. But one of the big picture things he wanted to do was display to the Pharisees, hey, I can heal on the Sabbath. I'm Jesus. So um, that's just a side note. We're kind of focusing on the man. But the big picture thing that's going on is Jesus is, you know, helping the Pharisees get over their self-righteousness by saying, hey, I can heal when I want to. I'm God. So anyway, um, Back over to verse 14. Now, verse 14 is absolutely key. All right, so we, we've talked about point one, which is this. Let me show you point one in, in service. is find their physical need and meet it out of love. So that's the first one. We want to accomplish core value number four or three or whatever it is, service. And the way we're going to do that is find their physical need and meet it out of love. <clears throat> but we can't just stop there. We can't just let ourselves and this is so easy like as soon as we've met a physical need as soon as we met a physical need it's so easy for us after we've done it to just say and god bless you and you walk away and you think oh you know i met their need i feel really good and if i go any further they're gonna they're gonna think i'm weird it's gonna cause this weird relationship between us and so i'm just gonna i'm gonna meet that physical need and then i'm just gonna pray holy spirit save them i pray that them seeing me meet their need, will somehow be used by you to point them to Jesus and that they'll just see my love and understand love. And we kind of just stay in this kind of nebulous, like no definition, but man, I really feel good. And they really feel good about me because I met their need. And we still, we're, me and this person are good because I didn't have to actually say, there's a greater need here, not just this physical need. And this is where the relationship become, can become a little bit more tense. If you meet the physical need and they love you, and then all of a sudden you want to tell them that they're also a sinner and they need forgiveness, their love for you might start waning and you might start patting yourself on the back and being like, yeah, oh, they don't like me anymore because I told them they need Jesus. So here's the deal. Verse 14. Afterward. There's always got to be an afterward. There always have to be an afterward. Like, whenever you meet the need, you have to have an afterward. There must be. This is where the gospel intentionality piece starts. You're not just doing service, but you're doing missional living. 
You're serving them, but you also are living out the gospel as a missionary. Telling them with words. When we say living out the gospel, by the way, at Remedy, we don't mean that you can actually live out the gospel. The gospel is is actually a declaration of good news. <laughs> okay? So you can't live out the gospel. Jesus died on the cross, so you can't live out the cross. You have to declare the cross. So when we say live out the gospel, we really mean that you have met their needs physically, and then after that you proclaim with them the good news of Jesus that happened 2,000 years ago. So afterward, and there must always be an afterward. If you take somebody food, there must be an afterward. If you cut someone's grass, you're still not done. If you fold someone's clothes, if you go volunteer at the Ebenezer, if you walk across the street and whatever, whatever you do, anytime you serve, you're not done. There must be an afterward. Now, Jesus' afterward is he goes and tells him about himself. And he uses unique language, and I know that this is interesting language, but he, he's, he's pointing to the gospel. Look what he says. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said... Now, he found him in the temple. So Jesus healed him. Mayhem ensued. People went crazy. Jesus went to multitudes of multitudes of people, went up to the one person healed the one guy, and then he backed out and he was done. Leaving all kinds of people there as a demonstration to us that there are so many needs in Rock Hill of which we don't need to get overwhelmed by. But we can meet the one, just like Jesus did. And once we do that, go to the next. We can rest in the sovereignty of God enough that we don't have to meet every single need in Rock Hill. There's a lot of Christians in Rock Hill. And God's moving in the lives of every single person in the city, whether they're in this church or not. We concentrate on the thing that he's called us to. We do it to its completion. And then we say, God, where do you want me next? And Jesus met that one need and left. Mayhem ensued. People are going crazy. The Pharisees are questioning this man. But Jesus still afterwards makes sure that he goes back and he finds this guy. And it says he found him in the temple. Afterwards, Jesus see him in the temple and said, no, this guy didn't know who Jesus was. He goes, see, you're well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. Sin no more. Now, why does he say, sin no more? That's pretty interesting language, right? Um, Jesus hasn't died on the cross yet, or anything like that yet. So, I think that this is what's going on. The exhortation from Jesus to this man, to sin no more, falls in the context of this man's healed life. We need to remember that this man has just been healed physically. And so... When he tells him to sin no more, um, sinning no more can't be done by himself. Like This man can literally, not in his own power, sin no more. Instead, just like his physical healing, where it was all about Jesus who caused it, he's telling him now, in the way that I healed you physically, you must also rely on me now spiritually to not sin anymore. I think that's the better way to consider this. John is not placing these things in this book by mistake. So in the same way that you were absolutely dependent on me to heal you physically, you must absolutely depend on me spiritually so that you'll live a life of righteousness. And you will see one day, very soon, that it's going to be because of the cross. So he preaches the gospel to him. So as we meet, as we meet physical needs... There must always be an afterward for us where we tell people the gospel. That's what we mean by missional living. And then he tells him this. Well, first of all, sin no more. Like, what kind of sins has this man done? He's been an invalid for 38 years. I mean, that's just kind of boggles your mind. Like, what's he been doing? I, I can't imagine very much. Just pointing to the fact that sin is not necessarily always outward, but it's usually inward. It's the condition of our heart that needs to be fixed. So he tells him to sin no more. And then he says that nothing worse may happen to you. What the world could be worse than 38 years of being an invalid? Hell. That's what's worse. Eternity is separated from God. That's what could be worse. And so what we want to think about then is, if once we've met the physical need of someone, once we've told them about Jesus, we don't want to do that and stop because all we've made them is comfortable for the next 
80 years of their life, 70 years of their life, 60 years of their life, but they still, if you don't tell them the gospel, will spend eternity in hell. We don't want anything worse to happen physically what's happened to them, which is hell. So we must find ourselves to be deeply concerned, deeply loving for them. Here's, here's point two. If, I don't know if it's been up there yet or not. Point two is this. Tell them of their greatest need, which is forgiveness of sin through Jesus. That's the second piece. Tell them of their greatest need, which is forgiveness of sin through Jesus. So, as we're going through life and we see people's physical needs, we want to tell them about Christ. So here's, that's, that's, our five, that's our five core values. We believe that as we are doing these five things, that we will accomplish our mission. So here's what, I, what we're going to do now. We're going to go into a time of worship. And so I'm praying that you will think about some things as we're going into worship. Number one, um, if this is your church, this is your home church, are you in community? Are you finding yourself in community in the life of the people here? And if you're not, then we want you to think and pray about as we respond whether God would be drawing you into the community of this church. Number two, as we think about service and as we think about missional living, where is it that maybe you need to um, live for Christ in a much more defined way? Is it that you don't think about the welfare of the city? You don't think about making things better? You don't really find yourself caring and serving, but you just love to just throw you know, condemnation with the... You need to repent, sinner! You know, not very loving, so you want to meet physical needs as well. Or, you know, sometimes we don't have to do that, but sometimes you just like the calling them a sinner part and not necessarily the loving them. You don't really care about them deeply. So wherever it is, or maybe you meet their physical need, but you're scared to death to tell them about Jesus. You just want to meet their physical need and let them like you and kind of say, okay, that's it. Or maybe you're doing all, which is awesome, and none of us are doing all perfectly, but you're doing all to the best of your ability, and you just want to thank God for the ability to walk in obedience because he's given you his spirit to help you walk in obedience. I'm not sure where you are. But as we're going into this time of response, just kind of think through those pieces, community, service, missional living. Where am I doing well? And if I'm doing well, I want to give God the glory for it. And where do maybe I need to improve? Where do I need to ask God for help? And remember, remember this, all right? This is, this is kind of a nice little closing text. Um, wherever you are, whether it's in just, you know, direct disobedience or if it's, you know, I do need to improve in these things. It's not because I'm willfully disobeying, but the Holy Spirit has revealed these things to me and I know I need to improve. Don't forget this verse that's been, that we read today in Hebrews chapter 10. For by a single offering, by Jesus dying on the cross 2,000 years ago, He has perfected for all time. So that if you're feeling conviction right now, Jesus' offering on the cross 2,000 years ago has perfected you completely right now and you are completely forgiven even if you're not living the way you should. And you are being sanctified. The promise of God is sin might still be working itself out in you as Romans 7 says. And He is promising you that you're going to be growing in holiness. And God's doing all that right now. I mean, what a beautiful, beautiful truth. So I'm going to pray, and Ben will lead us in a time of response through song. And uh, I just ask, however the Holy Spirit's leading you, that you would respond um, with joy. Let's pray. Lord, we, we know that your word says, your word never returns void. And so... Lord, all the places that I have maybe not communicated effectively or all the places that I didn't clarify things, I pray, Lord, that the Holy Spirit has taken what I've said and penetrated it down in my own heart and everyone here and that your promise in your word would be true, that the things that we've talked about today would not return void, but, Lord, that you would use your word to convict us, that you would use your word to comfort us, that you would use your word to show us Christ and stir our affections for him much more deeply. We thank you that there's a promise of your word that it won't return void. So as we've studied your word, God, I pray for every person in this room, wherever they are, 
and whatever you're wanting them to think about and whatever you're wanting them to do, that, God, they would be obedient to the Spirit's leading right now. They, they would respond by singing and glorifying you with song, but also as they leave, God, as they walk out and they live lives of worship, that they would change their behavior. They would be gospel-centered change, but they would change their behavior and not just be hearers of the Word, but be doers. We love you, God. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.